back to the first episode of the 2017-18 season of the Hockey Writers Live here on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel. I am your host, Chad Dedeminis, is coming to you from Buffalo, New York, and hockey is back. My friends, training camps are just a few days away, and we begin our season previews this week. We are going to start off with the Metropolitan Division, and we have some great interviews ahead. Thanks very much for being with me today. A little Enter Sandman there to get you get you pumped, get you in the mood. I feel like Mariano Rivera coming in here to, uh, well, he closes things out, but I'm getting you started here. Uh, so like I said, we are going to preview the Metropolitan Division today. Uh, I am going to be joined by three writers from the Hockey Writers, Jesse Kinney, who covers the New Jersey Devils, Sammy Silver, who covers the Washington Capitals, and Mark Scheig, who covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. So we have a great show ahead of you today, and let's not waste any time and get right into the hockey talk. All right, so we'll start our look around the Metropolitan Division here on the Hockey Writers Live on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel with Jesse Kinney, who covers the New Jersey Devils for the Hockey Writers. Jesse, Chad here, man. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'll, uh, I'll set you up with a nice, easy softball one here to get you kind of warmed up and get the conversation going. Um, so the Devils finished last in the Metro last year uh, and last in the Eastern Conference. They won the lottery draft, um, and they picked Nico Heischer over Nolan Patrick, which kind of, you know, depending who you ask, was a good move. Some think Patrick was a better player. But we'll put Patrick aside for now. And Heischer specifically – how much of an impact do you think he'll have with New Jersey next season, or if at all? Maybe do you see him putting playing back in juniors? Well, uh, I, th- I think I think I also agree. I think it was the right move for them to pick him. I think he's a little more dynamic than Patrick, a little faster, you know, has probably better hands. So I think he was the right pick, and I do think he will start the year in New Jersey. Probably, I uh, I probably I would like I would like to see him on the third line. I think um, that would be the perfect spot for him. You know, you're not overwhelmed with top six minutes, but you're still getting, you know, a good enough, uh, good amount of minutes, and you're going up against other third-line centers, which I think very favorable matchup for him. But, uh, yeah, I think he'll start in New Jersey. I would expect 15 to 20 goals and probably 25 to 30 assists for around 50, 60 points. I think he's definitely capable of that. Uh, so yeah, I think he'll do big things next year. I don't think it'll affect New Jersey too much. And in regards to the playoff race, but I think he'll do pretty well in his first year. So 50, 60 points. I mean, that would put him in your opinion, that puts him in the Calder discussion, right? Yeah, I would definitely consider him in the Calder discussion. Any, anytime anyone goes first overall, I think, you know, they're automatically in the Calder discussion and with what he did at the world juniors last year and what he did with Halifax, I think he definitely showed that he'll, in that race so is the eventual goal i mean in my mind i mean that just seems like a perfect i mean taylor hall kind of has always needed that big center to, you know, to go with them and in the long run you know for new jersey i think having taylor hall and nico heischer as your top two players I mean, that's that's pretty exciting for devils fans going forward you really haven't had that offensive firepower you know potential that these two could bring in a, in a long time if not maybe even ever yeah, no, it's really exciting. I don't know if they'll start the season next year. Hey, if, if, if he sure exceeds expectations, you know, that he could be in that first-line role within a month, you know, kind of a la Austin, uh, Austin Matthews last year. You know, he worked his way up from the third line and right. proved to be a huge difference maker. But, uh, yeah, those two together would be really fun to watch. They're both really fast, have great hands. And then don't forget Kyle Palmieri on the other side, you know, a perennial 30-goal right. scorer two years in a row, or almost 30 last year. But if he's on the line with Heischer and Hall, I can guarantee he'll get 30 next year. So. <laughs> 
I think I think that would be that would be a really good first line in the NHL. So outside of Heischer, New Jersey made a lot of additions. And in particular, I'm a big fan of the Johansson edition. Uh, but beyond that, there was Drew Stafford, Brian Boyle, and most recently, Will Butcher, who we'll get to a little bit here. Like I said, personally, I'm a huge fan of the Johansson trade. You know, I, I'm kind of curious what you think, you know, his impact will be in New Jersey after. I don't know. I, I think you know, I've always been a big fan of Johansson. I think maybe in Washington, he was kind of covered up by Baxter and Ovechkin, but I think he might get his time to shine here in New Jersey. I'm just curious your thoughts. Yeah, no, I love the trade. Uh, they gave up two picks that originally didn't belong to them anyway. You know, Shiro traded uh, assets for those picks earlier last year. So to give up, you know, two almost meaningless picks for a top six forward in Johansson was actually uh, a, an amazing trade. I think of probably the best move of the offseason by Shiro. And, you know, you can play all three positions. I don't really see him playing center because I think the Devils have a surplus of centers just in their prospect pool and on the team, even with the Zajac injury. So uh, he could play left wing. He could play right wing. Uh, the Devils are pretty weak at right wing. So, I mean, they signed Stafford after that, but I don't I don't think he's a top six right wing anymore. So he they could play right or left. Either way, he'll definitely have a spot in the top six, and I think he will produce uh, really well for the Devils. You know, more minutes, more power play time. You know, he's not clogged behind Ovechkin anymore. Or, you know, Burakovsky or, you know, they, they just had a surplus of forwards in Washington. Right. So I think, you know, with more time and minutes, and I think he'll really shine in New Jersey. So Will Butcher was the other guy that they just recently signed uh, the college free agent out of Denver. Um, I'm kind of familiar with that here in Buffalo. The Sabres were involved in that, that race as well. Yeah. I, Ultimately landed in New Jersey. Him, which... I expected him to go to Buffalo, to be honest with you. I thought he really? was going to Buffalo with the, Ike. really? I, with, the Ike, with the Eichel connection and, you know, Buffalo. Uh, yeah was pretty good last year, even with Michael missing some time. So I honestly thought he would go there. I'm a little surprised he picked it up. See, for me here in Buffalo, I, I kind of told you the whole time that I, I think New Jersey is the obvious choice. You know, he always talked about, yeah, he wanted to find the place to get in the best development. But, I mean, let's, let's be real here. Ultimate goal is to play in the NHL. And I think of the teams that were in the discussion, New Jersey is the only team that really gave him that opportunity. And, yeah. you know, I, I, think he'll, I think he'll start the league. He'll start in the NHL. Um, you know, I watched in the last few days in the prospects tournament and pressing to play the Sabres. I was really impressed. He was up in the play. He's a good, a better skater than I thought he was from the reports were coming out that he was an average skater, but maybe he's improved upon that. But I'm just kind of curious, maybe your thoughts, how, you know, big, I mean, looking from the outside, looking in, I, mean, I think it's a big addition for New Jersey who on paper, that defense is suspect. I mean, they just gave Severson an extension. He's a pretty good player, but beyond that, I mean, it's hard to find another player maybe as good as potential butcher could be maybe the best of the whole group so far. Well, just to finish up that point about the devils and Sabres, uh, I just, maybe it's all my experience with the devils, but we're not really used to premier free agents picking <laughs> the devils. So right. I think maybe that's why I was a little, little hesitant about it, but yeah, no, I think uh, he maybe, you know, besides he, uh, he sure and Johansson, he definitely, he definitely was the biggest addition to the biggest area of need for the devils. Uh, you know, their defense, like you said, Pine Severson, very suspect green's been solid for, you know, years, but he, he started to started to show signs of decline last year and Santini's unproven and they traded for Mirko Mueller and he's unproven and Ben Lovejoy was not as good as many thought he would be last year. And John Moore is purely an offensive defenseman. You know, he's mm-hmm. not going to give you much in his own end. So yeah, they definitely needed an upgrade and Will Butcher represents that. And yeah, I saw some of the prospect challenge games and he looked, uh, he looked very impressive. You know, he's a good skater, a very smart player. You know, he, he just seemed he'd make good decision after good decision, which you know, can't hurt on the blue line. So uh, I think he will start. I think he'll start the year with the devils. Obviously that was probably part of the big pitch of Shiro. You know, he yep. probably didn't win him over, didn't win him over by saying, I think you'll start in the AHL and that'll be great for you. <laughs> so I think, I think 
he'll definitely start in the Devils. Maybe the third pairing to start off, but he could easily work his way up since you know the Devils probably have the weakest uh, defense in the Metro and arguably the NHL. But they're on their way up. Severson, as you mentioned, just got re-signed. You know, he's I think he's, he's 23 years old. He showed a lot of promise last year on a, a frankly really bad team. So he'll continue to improve, I think. And I think yeah, Butcher is a really good addition to the back end. So you mentioned Zajac earlier, so I kind of want to circle back to that quickly. He's going to be out at least half the season, if my memory is right. I was going to say, I think they, four to six months, and I think I did the math earlier, and I think it's like mid-December, somewhere in January. So, yeah, definitely at least half the season. So how big of a loss him that is for New Jersey? Do you think they'll be able to recover from it with the moves ahead, or do you think they're going to kind of suffer not having him there? Well, I think it would have been, uh, you know, a big mountain to climb to even be in the playoff discussion for the Devils. You know, they made some great additions, but they're still, like I said, they still have the weakest defense. They're going to rely on a, they have to rely on Corey Schneider to bounce back. The offense is still a little suspect. You know, a lot of people have to prove themselves, even though there's a lot more skill and talent, they still have to prove themselves in New Jersey. So yeah, the Zajac loss is huge because he was obviously the number one center. He's the best defensive center on the team, the best at faceoffs. Um, so, and I thought with him there, Zaka maybe on the second line and Heischer on the third line, I thought that was a great, uh, and then Boyle, the new addition Boyle on the fourth line. I thought that was a, you know, a pretty good group of centers if they develop, if Zaka and Heischer develops correctly, but now that he's out, it might force Henrique on the first line. It might force Zaka on the first line. It might even force Heischer there. So it definitely hurts to lose your number one center for the season, especially for the devils who have so many unproven on their, on the offensive side of their, uh, roster. But, yeah, I think it pretty substantially puts them out of the playoff race. Uh, you know, you can't go half the season with the roster that they have without your number one center. But we'll see. So, you can, I don't know, I think you're kind of reading my questions here because the next place I'm going to go, you mentioned, is uh, <laughs> is Corey Snyder. You know, he had a very un-Snyder-like season last year. I'm kind of curious, you know, what happened? And do you expect him to bounce back? Or maybe he might struggle again with that pretty poor defense, which looks like on paper a poor defense in front of him. Yeah, well, it was definitely a poor defense last year on paper, and I think they even they didn't play up to the expectations of being pretty bad. I think they were atrocious last year, uh, obviously. And, you know, I think it was just a combination of, you know, I, I watched a lot of games, and he was being screened by his own defense. The Devils were being outshot every game. I wouldn't put too much blame on Schneider because, you know, he's played with the Devils for a few seasons now, and, he, and he's had to endure, you know, some pretty bad teams in front of him. And last season, I think it just got to him. And he wasn't, you know, able to save the Devils or put them in the playoff race as he, you know, sort of did years before. Right. You know, it's, it's just hard to be a goalie and being outshot every game and being screened by your own D. And it's, it's just hard to keep that up. So, uh, but with that said, I think I think the offense is a lot better than the last year. And that'll take some of the pressure off him. And I think, you know, he's probably upset with himself after last year. And I think he will bounce back because he's still young for a goalie and not much, you know, tread on him since he didn't start most of the years in Vancouver. So... I think he still has, uh, you know, probably four or five good years in front of him, and I think next year starts that rebound. So to wrap it up on all the New Jersey Devil questions here, what do, what do you think the outlook is for the Devils? Are they in sort of the rough season, you think, at the bottom of the conference? Uh, I mean, they have some complimentary pieces now to go with Hall, but is that going to be enough? Just Snyder bounce back and maybe bring him up in the standings? But at the end of the day, do you think they're going to fall kind of near the bottom again, or do you think maybe they can creep up near the middle of the pack? Um, to be honest, I probably see them at the bottom. You know, you're expecting a lot from a lot of first and second year players to even get near the middle. And like, uh, you know, as always, the Metro is absolutely stacked still. I mean, Washington lost a few players, but they're still a great team. Pittsburgh just won back-to-back cups. The Blue Jackets are, you know, could win the division. Uh, Flyers just added Nolan Patrick, and they have their D prospects coming up. 
the Islanders are still good. The Hurricanes are, might surprise people. So I, I think I see them probably at the bottom of the Metro again. Probably more competitive. I think I think the games will be more fun to watch just because of all the talent they have up front. I don't know how many of those will translate to wins, but I think they'll be more watchable this season. But I do see them still near the bottom. So you mentioned it. The Metro is it's <laughs> it's a stacked division. You know, it's just kind of why I was maybe excited to start with this division here first. And I guess I'm curious. I'm going to ask every single right here. You just had me the first one to talk to. Um, mm-hmm. Who do you think are the top three teams this year in the Metro? Because like you said. Washington lost some players. New York was a wild card team, which is kind of crazy because how many points they had. Uh, the Islanders are, I don't know, they're the Islanders. There's tomorrow's drama. Carolina is on the way up. Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh and Philadelphia is, looks better, but I don't know. Their goaltending is, uh, so, I mean, it, it's a crazy division, but who in your opinion are the top three teams right now in the division? Well, number one, it's going to be a toss up between Columbus and Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh didn't really lose anyone. Over the offseason, I mean, Nick Benino, but he was their third-line center. I think he can be replaced internally. And Chris Letang will make his return, which is huge for their D. So I think it'll be either them or Columbus, who just got Panarin, who I think is probably a little bit of an upgrade over Brandon Saad. And with mm-hmm. Wierenski coming back, I don't really expect him to have a sophomore slump. You know, he's so good. And Bobrovsky is Bobrovsky. So it'll be one of those two, but there's the, the, they will be the top two. And then it comes down to Washington and I think the Rangers. Rangers are still strong. But I think... I would probably give it to the Rangers just because I think they're, they're more balanced as, of a team now. You know, the Caps lost so many players. Right. They'll still be in the running, but uh, I don't think they'll be any of the top anymore because they lost like three defensemen, you know, two top six forwards, and they're going to be expecting a lot out of Burakovsky. If Burakovsky doesn't have a big year and Rana doesn't have that big of a year, I do not think they'll be as good as they have been. So uh, I would say, yeah, Columbus, Pittsburgh, and the Rangers. I actually agree with you. So that's a good thing there. And the last question I have for you here, what is there one team, you can say New Jersey if you want to, but is there one mm-hmm. team in the division that you think can surprise some people? Well, uh, I don't think it would be New Jersey, unfortunately. I think that might come <laughs> next year, but um, I think, I think Carolina has a really good shot. Uh, Flyers have a good shot, but they'll be relying on some young D and Nolan Patrick. We're not sure, you know, how much he's going to play. So I think I'm going to say Carolina just because they have a good D. You know, they got Hannafin. They just re- re-signed Slavin or Slavin. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and, and they have a good group of forwards up there. They got Ajo. They've got, you know, Skinner. They've got, they've got a pretty well-balanced teams themselves. Um, it'll come up to Scott Darling. If Scott Darling can play up to what they think he can play, I think they'll be very tough to beat. Oh, and they added uh, Trevor Van, Van Riemsdyk. So, and uh, with Falk back there, they have they have you know they have a really well balanced team actually. Now that I'm thinking about it in depth, so yeah, I think I'd put the Hurricanes. I think they're that could surprise a lot of people. Yeah, I, I just I couldn't agree with you more. You know, looking at the roster, it you know here in Buffalo, we're kind of still bitter against Carolina for that whole thing back in '06. But uh, and they're they're putting a pretty good team together. And I really think it's all going to fall on darling. So we'll, we'll kind of see how that shakes out for the hurricanes, but Jesse Kenny coming in here and absolutely crushing it, giving us some insight <laughs> in the Jersey devils and the metropolitan division. You can follow him on Twitter at Kenius and verb. Jesse knows his stuff. So definitely check out his Jersey devil articles and his coverage throughout the season. Uh, Jesse, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Like I said, you, you know, you crushed it. since sound like a pro. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here.
welcome back to the Hockey Writers Live here on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel. And we'll continue our, I guess you could say, tour around the Metro Division here uh, by talking to the Capitals' lead writer at the Hockey Writers, Sammy Silver. Sammy, Chad here, thank you very much for coming on again. Oh, no problem. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. So the Capitals are a pretty interesting team this year, you know. They, they've been the powerhouse, of, I guess, of the uh, Metro and of the East the last few years, but they lost a lot of players this year. I mean, they got Oshie back, which is good, but they lose Johansson, Shattenkirk, Schmidt, Williams, Alsner. I mean, how much of an impact here are we looking at the Capitals I mean, losing all those players, not really bringing much in to replace them? Are, are, could we see a down year? Maybe not out of the playoffs, but not the type of team you've seen the last few years here? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. It makes you think because, you know, these aren't, these aren't just like, you know, typical veteran names that you lose to free agency. And these are, you know, a lot of their main components, you know, you lose a guy like Justin Williams. So, you know, it was a 20 goal guy for him. You know, so they lose a lot of offense there. You lose a, you know, Marcus Johansson, you know, he's a consistent top six performer and, you know, you lose those two pieces, you lose two parts of your top six and you don't really bring anybody in to replace them. And then you look at the blue line, you see Schmidt who, you know, is well on his way to becoming a top four puck moving defenseman. You lose him. And uh, not only that, you can't even replace him with someone like Shattenkirk because he's gone too. And you lose a lot of your shot blocking, penalty killing with Alzner. And, you know, the entire lineup has just taken, it's taken a huge hit. And there's no denying it. But um, if we're looking at a dip, I'm not sure because, you know, you still have Oshi, you know, who's a huge contributor. You have Ovechkin who, you know, was coming in looking to kind of redeem himself, put up more, you know, goals you have. And you have a lot of, you know, the young guys who want to come up and prove themselves, Burkowski and uh, Kuznetsov are coming in. I think both of them are coming off um, deals over the summer. So both of them really want to, you know, come in and make an impact. And hopefully we'll see more production from them. But it's going to be a lot of guys stepping up. And the only way that this team is going to, not take a dip as if they can, you know, fill the voids and take that duty on. And I think it's good that the management is kind of trusting the players already in the system to carry this weight, but they, again, a lot of the responsibility falls on them. They need to prove that, you know, Brian McClellan is making the right decision that he is trusting the players on the inside to, you know, come step up and take on these roles. So, a lot of it will have to do with the players this time around. It's not a coaching thing. It's not a management thing. It's, you know, seeing what the pieces can do and hoping that it works for them. So I'm, I'm curious of your thought, cause you know, I, I'm a big Schmidt fan and, you know, here, you know, looking from the outside, looking in, you know, I, I know there's Johansson, there's Shattenkirk, there's Williams, Alsner, but for me, in my opinion, you know, I, I thought Schmidt was really coming around. He is he's a great skater, has great puck moving defenseman and, I'm just curious. I mean, maybe you agree with me, disagree, but I looking at all these losses, I think Schmidt could be the biggest one out of all of them. Oh, I absolutely agree. You know, it's not often that you see a defenseman like him, you know, he's a very versatile defenseman. He is, and you know, an amazing skater. He can get the puck up the ice and, you know, though he didn't have those point totals that you'd kind of expect out of a puck mover, he he's well on his way there, you know, tremendous upside, huge promise. And, Honestly, he was one of Washington's best performers on the blue line last season, if you ask me. I didn't think, you know, I didn't think it was Carlson. I didn't think it was Alzer. I think that Schmidt put up the best performance out of any Capitals blue liner. And, you know, that might be an unpopular opinion, you know, 
disregarding guys like, you know, Niskanen and all that, but, you know, he, he did a lot. And he was a defenseman who, you know, may have had some trouble cracking the lineup at times, but, you know, was well on his way. He was a prospect. And that's the most important part of, you know, his loss is that, you know, he stepped up in the playoffs, you know, he, he stepped up and he showed that he's, you know, trending up. He has nowhere to go but up. And unfortunately I won't be with the Cavs organization and losing a guy like that who, you know, can step in at any moment, you know, put an effort, you know, bring a positive, you know, attitude to the ice, to the locker room. You know, he's always got a huge smile on his face, the guy. I mean, losing that kind of player who just helps out all around and plays a solid game at both ends of the rink, it, it hurts. And knowing that, you know, the Caps have a, you know, a pool of very promising defensemen, but, you know, Schmidt was definitely the top one and losing that, that that's a huge blow in itself. Yeah, I mean, it, it really stings, especially losing him for nothing, you know, to Vegas. Like, maybe it's the thing that stings the most. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day here, all these moves in the offseason, you know, like the questions kind of come up a few times here. And in the talk of the offseason, you know, didn't McClellan botch this offseason for the Caps? It's a good question. <laughs> I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so, I mean, I bet, you know, everybody expects, you know, we're going to sign, we're going to sign these guys, you know, everything is going to be done. Obviously, you know, no cap stand is out there screaming like sign Yager. Like that's not going right. to, it's not going to happen for obvious reasons, but, um, <laughs> you know, he didn't. And a lot of people might think that he did because we come into the season kind of worried because what pieces do we have? You know, what is going on? Who is going to take over? Who's going to be, you know, the young guy to step up, but what he's doing is smart because first off the caps are in, you know, I hate to say cap again, (laughs) they're in cap (laughs) hell. You know, they have, they have very limited funds. That's one of the reasons why Mojo is gone. You know what I mean? Um, So he doesn't really have, he can't really afford to bring in names that will really genuinely help. No, I mean, Shattenkirk, they could have re-signed him. He didn't. He wasn't going to re-sign in Washington. It wasn't going to happen. And you know, from the looks of his season, you know, was he really a guy that you know Washington wanted to keep, or did they want to let him kind of have his change in scenery and you know all that? But McClellan, you know, he's he's pushing the fast forward button a little because at some point in some time, these kids you know, these young prospects in Hershey and, you know, throughout the organization are going to have to play in the NHL sooner, you know, rather than later. You know, you can't, you can't deny, you know, the talent there and you can't, you can't keep developing it, especially when so many of them are ready to make the jump. You know, you might as well take the opportunity and say, oh, I have a few holes on my main roster. I got a ton of young guys waiting in the organization that I don't have to pay who are probably going to put in just as much effort as anybody else and make that step up and fill that void. They're going to take over eventually, so why not now? Why not when this team is, you know, working so hard, seem to have, you know, and they seem to have all the pieces to win the cup last season and didn't happen. Right. So why bring in more pieces and keep trying to solve that puzzle instead of trusting what you already have on the in the interior? So, no, I don't think he did. I was a little skeptical at first. I was like, you know, <laughs> are you going to find anyone? But... <laughs> I'm happy. I'm I'm excited for this season. So, I mean, no, like you said, the big guys are still there. Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, uh, Backstrom, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Dimitri Orloff, you know, got a new contract. Uh, Niskanen, I mean, you know, the big guys are there. Oshie's back. But I'm kind of curious is maybe it's just all talk. Maybe it'll really happen. What happens to the Capitals if somehow, some way, Ovechkin and Kuznetsov are gone for the Olympics for a month of the season? Or, I mean, do you think it's not even worth worrying about because it's not going to happen? Oh, I think it's definitely something to worry about. You know, you hear you hear Ovechkin, not so much Kuznetsov. I haven't heard too much about uh, Kuzi. Ovechkin, you know, he, you know, you see it in the media. You see it every day. You know, he is dead set on going over, you know, and, you know, representing his, his team. And, you know, to be honest, I don't blame him. I mean, right. You know, we could get into the whole talk about my opinion on, you know, the NHL. <laughs> but we're not going to because I would take up like an hour of this podcast. But, <laughs> you know, he, he's set on going. One way or another, he is going to go. I have I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that he's going to go and take on, you know, whatever punishment the league bestows upon him rather than sit out. You know, it's been a huge media thing. It's been ongoing for years. So he's going to go. If it'll cause problems for Washington, yeah. I mean, you know, especially with how how long he's gone, you know, the consequences that he'll suffer if he does go, you know, probably a suspension in there. But hope I mean again, it's just relying on the on the other guys on the roster to step up. If Ovechkin does go, Oshi will have to, you know, fill that void. He had, you know, he tied Ovechkin for the team lead in goals this past season. So, you know, he's the main source of offense and well, you know, I, I'm not keen on Kuznetsov going. He may, you know, you never know. But you know, if he does, you know, you need to look at the center depth. You have Backstrom, and then you have Eller, you know, next. So, looking at that depth, you know, you you really got to see that. Oh, if Kuznetsov gone, you know, you lose a key playmaker there. Eller cannot fill the skates of Kuznetsov, not because he's on. You know, a skill plays more of a he doesn't produce or play the game like Kuznetsov does. Yeah, right. So you're gonna have a problem there. That's where, you know, so if both of them are gone, you're gonna have to rely on the wingers like Oshi, you know, and Burkowski to really pick up and fill that void. And then you need to have probably Backstrom, you know, filling in more ice time. Cause Eller's good, but you know, he's not gonna produce like Kuznetsov. Right. So I thought I have a devil's advocate question. I'm going to throw it at you a little bit. Let's say Ovechkin goes for a month to the Olympics. So the Capitals have no Ovechkin for a month. They play pretty well. He comes back. They have, a, I don't know, another disappointing early playoff dropout again. Is there any way maybe people watch and look back and go, I don't know, when Ovechkin was gone for a month, we really didn't lose a beat. And maybe that could be the start of the dialogue. Maybe that we see Ovechkin maybe start to work his way out of Washington. Or am I just being crazy at this point? <laughs> it's it's an ong- that's another thing that could take up hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you look at Ovechkin and you know, he he's the center of the franchise. He's the name on the back of the base shirts. He's a, you know, he's the name on the jerseys. He's the face on the front of, you know, Capital One Arena. But at some point something's gotta give. At some point you look at the formula and you know, I, I never like to you know, hold one guy accountable for an entire team. I think Washington's problem for years has been a collective thing. But again, you look at pieces of the of the puzzle and you look at Ovechkin and you say, wow, he's the captain of this team. This team has yet to make it, you know, past the second round. 
under his, you know, leadership. And if he's gone mm-hmm. for a month and, you know, they do fine without him and the prospects are doing great, you're, you're going to start to wonder, you know, like you said, is, is he worth keeping around? And, you know, what can, we, what can we get in return for him that will help us finally reach this goal? would be the dialogue that would start. So, you know, absolutely. I think that it would start some kind of dialogue. To wrap up the Capitals questions here, you know, like you said earlier, the, I guess the way it looks at the Capitals really aren't the powerhouse in that division anymore. I mean, you could always say it always was Pittsburgh's division even though they didn't win it. I mean, the two-time cup champions, but say what you will, what's your outlook on the season? I mean, I would assume they're a playoff team still, but do you think they're still one of the top three teams in the division or do you think this is maybe more of a wild card team now? I wouldn't say wild card. It's hard, like, I mean, with with the guys coming in, there's always so many questions that you have, especially leading up to camp. You know, it's I don't think that they're a wild card team because they still have the pieces. It, it's not like they lost Ovechkin. It's not like they lost Oshi. You know, they still have Backstrom. They still have Kuznetsov. They still have the top six firepower. On the blue line, you start to worry a little bit because you're without Schmidt. You're without you know Olsner. You know and you know, you're seeing probably Brooks Thorpeck making a jump to the top four, and no one's sure of how that will work out. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't. I honestly didn't think he had the worst season last year, but if you bring his name up in Washington, you know, they all hate him. <laughs> <laughs> but God knows why. I think he, you know, I think he does. He does fine. But <laughs> um, you know, you, you start to you start to look at the holes. You know, there's some big holes. You won't really have a steady top four on the blue line. You got some questions on your bottom six, and you have pros- You have, you know, you have two. You have your, uh, you know, Mojo gone, and you have Williams gone. So you're missing two key scores, and you know, members of your, you know, top six, and probably your third line, who are probably going to have to, you know, their prospects coming in who have to fill those, you know, skates. Mm-hmm. So you have. It's all about the youth. Personally, I've seen great things from, you know, some of the kids coming in. You know, you obviously have Verona, you have um, Walker, you have, you know, you have defensemen and like Lucas Johansson, you have Connor Hobbs, you have these kind of guys who are putting up unbelievable numbers at, you know, the lower level. And then you have guys like Travis Boyd, who's, you know, a center, who the caps are, you know, the caps seem fine on the center line, but... Boyd is a good enough player and producer that he could finally make that step up. So you see all these guys who can perform. They've shown that they can put up numbers and totals. But if that can translate to the NHL, because, you know, the league is entirely different. Right. You know, anyone playing, you know, college hockey can tell you that, you know, the move to like a, even a league like the AHL is a huge jump and it's completely different. Absolutely. So seeing how the levels are so different, but seeing what the prospects are able to do, seeing that they can skate, seeing how they perform at camp. You know, I think that there's a lot of promise there. And I think that with the way that the Capitals coach and the way that they work and the way that those strength guys help those younger prospects, you know, I, I say, I say they finish not as a wild card team, definitely a playoff team, but not, they will not win the Metro. So let's ask me up for our next question here. A uh, couple yeah. Metro-focused questions. Who do you think the top three teams in the Metro are? I mean, Philadelphia's maybe on the way up. Carolina could surprise some people. Pittsburgh's the two-time cup champs. The Rangers still look good. Columbus is Columbus. Uh, New Jersey's <laughs> guess is at the bottom. Uh, I mean, the Islanders are the Islanders. 
I mean, it's, it's a stacked division all the way through. So who are your top three teams today in the Metro? Obviously Pittsburgh. I mean, <laughs> they're probably going to win the Stanley cup for the third time. If you're asking me, um, I mean, my God, they're amazing. But the reason that they're so good is because, I mean, they just, they build themselves so well. Right. Like they have such a deep roster. It's unbelievable. Like I've never seen anything like it. I wish that would translate for the caps. Um, (laughs) And then I'm going to go with Columbus. Okay. You know, I think Florella did an extraordinary job behind the bench. Words I never thought I would hear myself saying. Right. right. (laughs) But I, you know, he's been great. He's been, you know, an absolute force. And, you know, they have guys like Seth Jones and, you know, they have Panarin coming in. That's going to be a huge help to them, I think. And, you know, they had the pieces to become a top contender. They showed they have what it takes. They have Barbarowski leading the charge in net. So I think they're going to they're gonna come up as one of the top three teams. My third. Because I, I want to say Carolina is like the dark horse because they really have worked hard this offseason. Okay. But I think the Rangers, I'm going to put the Rangers there. I mean, the acquisition of Shattenkirk is obviously huge, but their blue line looks pretty solid. You know, their forward lines look solid. They're, they're just a very, they're, they're a fine team. And because of that stability that they have, you know, and obviously Henrik Lundqvist, you know, ready to go. I think that, I think that they'll be, they won't be like the best team in the Metro, but they're definitely they're just going to stay one of the top teams out there. They're, they're tough competitors. Okay. And then my last question, um, maybe you already mentioned with Carolina, but do you think there's one team in that division that can surprise some people and pop up? Oh, definitely Carolina. I mean, you know, you, <laughs> you look at, you know, Darling coming in there and you look at Cam Ward finally taking on that backup role, which, you know, is surprising to me because I've seen him be their starter for years now. Yep. But that change is something that signifies, hey, like we're, we want to win, <laughs> you know, like we want to win here. And Justin Williams coming in, mm-hmm. you know, it's huge. They're going to have a lot of scoring, you know, a lot more scoring than they saw last season. They're going to have a great goaltender come in. They're going to rely on that youth, you know, to step up. So, I mean, they're young and there's still work to be done looking at their roster, but they're they've shown this off season that they're taking the steps to become a winning team and to bring that culture to Carolina, which I think is great. So that'll help them. If you're asking about any other teams, Philadelphia, maybe I haven't seen like two. I mean, I'm, I'm confident that they'll, they'll move up a little. They have a lot of prospects, but I don't know. I still see them as a wild card kind of, you know, not, uh, you know, on the verge So Sammy Silver, who is the lead writer for the Washington Capitals at the Hockey Writer, that's not all she does. She's editor-in-chief for Oil on White, editor at large, uh, Huffington Post, covers the Leafs for the Hockey Writer, I'm sorry, for the Leafs Nation, uh, and covers the Jets for the Jets Nation. So basically she just covers every team in the NHL, believe it or not. Um, you can follow her on Twitter at Sammy Silver. I recommend you that. She's an excellent follow. She knows her hockey, and she'll definitely be a good follow to follow the Capitals throughout the season because I think they're going to be a very interesting team to watch from start to finish and even in the middle with the Ovechkin Olympic stuff. Uh, there's going to be a lot of chatter on the Capitals this year, I feel. So, Sammy, um, 
thanks for the insight. Thanks for the Metro insight. I really appreciate you coming out. We'll definitely do this again soon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. All right, welcome back to the Hockey Writers Live here on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel. And we will wrap up our look around the Metropolitan Division by bringing in one of the top writers at the Hockey Writers, uh, Mark Scheig, who covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mark, man, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to give us a few minutes here. Well, thanks for having me, Chad. Really appreciate it. So Columbus finished last season second place in the Metropolitan Division. Had a disappointing early playoff exit at the hands of the Penguins, which they wound up in the Stanley Cup. But I still think Columbus kind of, I guess, didn't perform to standards in that series, you could say. Uh, they added Panarin. They traded Saad. Hartnell's gone. But the main core is still intact. So my question for you, with Panarin here, I mean, they lost a couple guys, you know, with expansion and Saad gone and Hartnell gone. Is this a better team than last year, maybe? That's a that's the sixty four thousand dollar question that a lot of people are wondering if they're a better team or not. So, in my mind, it's yes and no. So I'm gonna have to explain myself here. So yes, <laughs> adding Panarin makes you a better team. You have a more you have a dynamic player who can not only score you thirty goals. You have somebody who is a dynamic playmaker as well as evidenced by making Patrick Kane, you know, pretty much a better player just based on the stats. So you're going to get a, def- a different element there than Brandon Saad. Um, you're, he's going to help five on five. He's going to help on the power play. And then when they need a big goal, he's somebody that can do that. So top line sense, yes, they're definitely better. But you said it yourself. Saad's gone, great five on five player. Scott Hartnell gone, great five on five player. Somebody's got to step up. And at this point, it's kind of trending in the direction of some of the young guys. Can a Pierre-Luc Dubois step in and, you know, and make a contribution? Can Oliver Bjorkstrand take the next step? So it's going to be really up to the young guys to kind of see how things fall out. Kind of wonder how that bottom six is going to go. I mean, Scott Hartnell was a fourth liner. I mean, they were really deep. Sam Gagne is gone. They, they, they oh, were, yeah. that, that's a big part of their success last year. So which one's it going to be? Is the top end going to be good enough to offset the loss of the depth? And I mean, keep in mind too, they did win 16 games in a row. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to duplicate that. Right. Their bread and butter is the defense and the goaltending. Sergei Bobrovsky, and then you have a top, a top pair of Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. That's where they're going to make their, their hay right there defensively you're going to get a lot of low scoring games if Panarin can help Wenberg become a better scorer then you're looking at something but as is that's going to be the question if will the will the, the young guys do well enough with depth to offset those losses so we'll see I think they are a little bit better with Panarin over Saad but you know we'll see we really don't know at this point so I guess where I want to go here. There's, there's two, there's two ways I want to go here. Uh, Cause I want to come back and circle back on Dubois quickly. Um, Cause that's an interesting pick, you know, last year, two years ago, but I wanted Panarin really quick. You know, you kind of mentioned that he, you know, he helped Patrick Kane 
on the flip side of it, you could say, well, did Patrick Kane maybe make Panarin look like a better player than he actually is? So is there any concern with you that maybe, I'm sure he's a good player, so maybe he's not going to produce the level he was in Chicago playing with Patrick Kane? I don't think that's a concern. Um, he's just so good at both scoring and playmaking that and I, I, all the attention goes to Patrick Kane, and rightfully so, one, one of the best players in the league. But he has a better center now than Alexander Wenberg. I mean, not trying to take anything away from Artem Anisimov at all, but you go from Anisimov to Wenberg, and Wenberg's a dynamic playmaker. That's not that's an improvement. Right. And you throw somebody like Cam Atkinson on that line. I mean, that's that's the question. Who are they going to put on that line? Are they going to put Cam Atkinson there? Are they going to put Nick Polino there? A couple other players that can be put in that spot, but. I'm not concerned about that at all. Panarin is just such a dynamic player. Back-to-back seasons, over 70 points. Did it have something to do with Kane? Well, yes, a little bit. But he's good enough in his own right. And he said that recently in his press conference that he's looking to get even better than what he was. And, you know, the great Aaron Ports, I know many of you follow him, the great um, – beat writer now for the athletic Cleveland. He recently told me in an interview that he might be the best blue jackets player ever, or at least he has the upside of that. Hmm. And he said they could even try to go after a 100 point season. Now that's a bold prediction, but yeah. for say something like that, I mean, he, he, he believes that the, the talent is certainly there. He can do it on his own. Now you have a dynamic center to go with it. Let's see where the chips fall, but no, I'm not concerned about um, not having like a Patrick Kane there and Aaron's good on his own. So quickly before we move on to some other things here, uh, like I mentioned Dubois, um, I don't know if I want to say the controversial pick. Maybe he was the surprise pick in a way a couple of years ago, a third overall for Columbus over uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, who is in Edmonton now, who I guess kind of got a taste in NHL, but spent most of the season last year in the minors. Uh, how does he look for Columbus right now? Is there any, I don't know, it's really to say, is there any regret in that pick? Uh, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Dubois. I think he's a talented, speedy player. Uh, but I'm just curious to know how he looks, you know, one year into, you know, after his draft year. There's a lot of people that are concerned about him, but he was just in the, in the Traverse City Prospects Tournament on the top line, and many considered him and Vitaly Abramov and Calvin Turkov, the best line in that entire tournament. Dubois looked really good. You know, somebody who's coming off an injury at the end of last year, played deep into the Q playoffs. He switched positions. You know, he played wing. He spent most of last year learning center full-time, taking face-offs and learning a two-way game. So a lot of people look at his drop in production as, oh, they must regret the pick. Columbus is very high on him. But don't make no mistake about that. They love this kid. He's a big guy, very strong. He's best when he goes driving to the net. He's going to score some dirty goals for you. But he's, a, he's going to be a good 200-foot player. So he's not like an Austin Matthews or anything like that. But he certainly has the capability of playing a really good two-way game. If, if he can reach his upside – he could probably get you 15 to 20 goals a year down the road. Probably going to slot in as the third line center to start the year, especially if Brandon Dubinsky can't start the year. He had wrist surgery. We're really not sure if he's going to be ready to start the year or not. Really no concern. Columbus is high on him. He's had an, a full season now to prepare for this camp. Had a shoulder injury, so it looks like he's 
definitely recovered from that. So yeah, no, things are looking good for him, at least at this point. So I want to shift here to the defense. We kind of touched on a little bit earlier, and in spe- um, specifically, uh, Zach Rowensky. Huge surprise last season, coming out of the University of Michigan. He looks like a stud. He's excellent at both ends of the ice, which is impressive for a kid of his age. Um, I mean, if you all remember taking that slap shot to the face and then finish coming back and finishing the game, you know, that was insane. Uh, yep. But the one thing, you know, we maybe kind of saw it with Gassis Bear last year, you know, that kind of sophomore slump, or maybe some teams start to figure out a little bit. Uh, does that concern you a little bit with Wierenski? Well, not a sophomore slump, but they're going to pay a lot of attention. I mean, if you're going to game plan the Blue Jackets, you have to find a way to slow Zach Wierenski down. So the thing that we're going to watch with him is how does he adjust to teams making him the focal point? And then he's got to get a little bit better defensively. At the end of games last year, it was Ryan Murray, not Wierenski, usually out at the in crunch time trying to protect a one-goal lead. So he definitely has some steps to make on the defensive end. But overall, I mean, yeah, for, for that age, one of the best season in decades for somebody in that age range. To think of all the rookies that were in the league last year, like Matthew Kachuk and others, and Wierenski finished in the top three in the Calder voting. Uh-huh. And that, that's a really impressive feat. And everyone is just raving about the kid. He's one of the nicest, most humble kids that you'll ever meet. He just has that it factor. Like he, he's always constantly wanting to improve, always constantly wanting to get better. He's literally a coach's dream. You know, and, you know John Tortorella um, got in sports. And he recently came out and said that the sky is the limit for him, and it really is. I mean, there's many that believe that he's going to win multiple um, Norris trophies. No question about it. I think that if he continues to make improvements on the defensive end, I mean, that's going to come in time. He's still so young. But he's already got the offensive instinct. He, he just reads the so well, just so effortless out there. I and mean, it's one of the biggest blessings that the Blue Jackets have ever had in their franchise history. And they've had a really bad record of drafting in the past. And then they get some a franchise-altering player like this. It really changes their dynamic. You pair him with a Seth Jones as the top pair. You've got guys that are going to be on that blue line anchoring for several years. Absolutely. This is bread and butter. And you want to talk about the identity of the Columbus Blue Jackets now moving forward. It's going to be through Zach Wierenski. He's a future captain. He's going to most likely win a Norse or more later on down the line. So I got to ask you, I, guess I can't let you go without asking you the, uh, I don't know, they want to call it the hot topic in the league right now, you know, because <laughs> – the trades really aren't happening right now, but there's one player in particular that's really in the rumor mill, and Columbus is sniffing around, it seems. So I, I got to ask you, your gut feeling here, are the Jackets going to end up with Matthew Shane? I don't think so. Now, this is just me. We, I know what the reports say. Elliot Freeman had a nice write-up in his 31 thoughts, and yep. that's a big thing going around. Let me give you at least my argument as to why I don't think that's going to happen. I think that, you know, obviously subject to change. If if the chain holds out, then the price is going to come down. Then a lot of other sides, Columbus gets into that, like Carolina, maybe Nashville, others. But you got to consider the whole cap situation. They're at like 7.9, maybe around 8 million in cap space right now. They still have Josh Anderson to sign. We'll see where that comes in. Maybe around 2 million by the time it's all said and done. 
kind of surprising that that hasn't happened yet, but here's something that a lot of people don't consider. Duchesne is six is two years left at six million. So you got to bring him in. The Blue Jackets have performance bonuses on the books, especially if you, if Pierre-Luc Dubois makes this roster, which is looking like a definite possibility. If he meets all his bonuses, it's two and a half million dollars. Right. And if you look at all the different players that have performance bonuses, according to cap friendly, it comes into just under $4 million. So you consider Anderson's contract, you consider potential bonuses. You've got to find a deal that moves money the other way, in my opinion. And if Colorado wasn't a fan of Ryan Murray, or if they're asking for somebody from Columbus, that Columbus doesn't want to give up. I don't think it happens. And I, I, I think Colorado would ask for like an Alexander Wenberg. They would maybe ask for an Oliver Bjorkstrand. Right. I'm not sure that Blue Jackets want to go down that road. Um, as much, it would be great. I mean, ultimately you're going to get a player in Duchesne who's going to really help down the middle of your right. So the arguments are there for it to happen. Just given how long this has taken and long and drawn out, I think Columbus did their due diligence. Now, I don't know anything. They still could be talking about it for all I know, but just my gut instinct says at the end of the day, if the price was right, I think it would have happened by now. I, I think they're, they've moved on at this point. But again, subject to change. We'll see about it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's interesting. If he doesn't report to camp, you know, that, that changes a lot of things. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. So. Yep. End of the day here, what is your outlook on the Jackets this season? You know, I, I would think they're a playoff team. I'm sure you think that. Um, so, I mean, but I, maybe we'll kind of move, move past that part. Um, I guess the question is, do you think if they can get into playoffs, they can actually – that they had the potential to actually win around this year for the first time in franchise history? It absolutely, they absolutely could. Now, if they run into the Pittsburgh Penguins again, we'll see. But, yeah, they certainly have – the talent they Sergei Bobrovsky is going to have to prove that he can win in the playoffs now he's done some things this offseason to help with the mental part of the game the defense in front of him is going to be better so that's something we're going to watch but yeah they they certainly can I mean I think they're a playoff team still I think they're a slightly better team but I don't think they're a 108 point team you know 16 game winning streak definitely helped them get to that I still think they're an upper 90s team for sure. When you have that kind of goaltending, you have that kind of defense. It's still a playoff team. Then it comes down to matchups, and then you know how do they do in the playoffs? Adding a Panarin is going to help in the playoff series, but again, the question is the depth. They're going to be some young guys. Are they are they ready? Are they going to be able to step up? I still think Columbus's window is opening at this point, more opening than closing at this point. But something to definitely watch is everyone's been talking about this two-year window for them. And it's a valid point. You know, Cam Atkinson's an unrestricted free agent after this season. He's going to get some money. He's probably going to get over $6 million a year on the open market. Will Columbus pay him? Well, we'll see what happens with that. Sergey Bobrovsky in two seasons, got two more seasons, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. Does he get carry price money? Zach Wierenski, you're going to have to lock him down for a good chunk of change. He's going to be a restricted free agent in two more seasons. So a lot of questions here. Do they go all in for these two years? Do they see an opportunity to maybe pass a Washington who's regressed? Maybe pass a Pittsburgh who's getting a little bit older and lost some depth. Do they see that as an opportunity? Well, maybe. 
And at the end of the day, if they do get into the playoffs, they certainly have the talent to win a round. I mean, they've not, they still to this day have not gone, they've not won three games in a playoff series. They haven't won a series in their history. Now, granted, there's only been a couple series, but still, franchise firsts are happening here. So they, they need to do that for Tortorella was Mac. He wrote a letter to the players, said that we only played 10 extra days. That's been their off-season motto, and they're going to use that as motivation to try to take that next step. So we'll see where that goes. So moving away from Columbus here, kind of a couple of Metro questions before we wrap up. Um, okay. Who, in your mind, I've asked, you know, you're the third one I'm talking to here, and I've asked the other two writers before you, but who, in your mind, are the top three teams right now in the Metro? Because it's a deep division. You know, outside of New Jersey, you can make an argument Probably maybe for every team. I mean, Carolina, Columbus, I don't know. I mean, Carolina, I'm sorry, Carolina, Philadelphia. I don't know. Carolina's getting better. Philly has a young, improve, improving defense, but are they there yet? Uh, but in your opinion, who are the th- top three teams at the end of the season that will lock down playoff spots out of this Metro division? Pittsburgh, Washington, Columbus, in that order. Pittsburgh first. Capital still second, even though I'm not as confident about that pick. Still feel that with Braden Holtby in net, you still have a chance. You still have Backstrom. You still have Ovechkin. You still have Kuznetsov. Watch Andre Barakowski this year, though. I think he's going to have a monster year this year. He's on the verge of kind of trying to help offset some of their losses. They need him, but I really feel like he's on the verge of a breakout. I think they do enough because of who they still have to still take second. I mean, the Penguins are still the Penguins, and until further notice, they are the best team in the league. They're trying to go after three championships <laughs> in a row. Yeah, But I think Columbus is third. They're good enough. Um, I don't think they're quite to the level of Pittsburgh and Washington yet, but they're working their way there. Um, the other teams, though, I watch out for Carolina. I think they could slip in, especially with some of the acquisitions that they made. If they were to get a Matt Duchesne in a trade, then they are in the conversation to possibly get into that third spot. Philadelphia, I, starting next year, they're going to be in my top three moving forward because their prospect pool is deep. And some of the, the young kids are going to get in the lineup this year. I think it's going to be a little rocky this year. But moving forward, the arrow is pointing straight up for them. New Jersey's in a much better spot. Give them a year or two, they're going to be in that conversation. Two New York teams, though, I'm not sure what to make of them at this point. Um, I know the Islanders got Everly, um, but mm-hmm. what kind of a team are they going to be? Is Thomas Grace and Yara Halak going to do enough in net? Um, who knows? Did the Rangers take a step back? Right. I, I can't put them in the top three at this point. So it's Pittsburgh, Washington, Columbus, same order as last year, actually. <laughs> okay. Uh, so last question here, maybe kind of touch on a little bit. Um, so maybe you already talked about it, but, you know, Sammy, Jesse, I asked them who the surprise team in the Metro is going to be. They both said Carolina. Are you going to kind of go with that same thing here? Surprise team in the Metro, you think it's Carolina too? Hmm. That's the easy choice. I, I mean, I did mention a minute ago that I think <laughs> that they flip in the playoffs. So just to be different, I will say New Jersey. And Interesting. I think a lot of people forget how good Corey Schneider can be. Um, but when you had the team that he had last year, I mean, that's not a good situation. But you think about adding a Nico Hishier to that team and some of the kids that they're going to come up here, 
their depth down the middle all of a sudden is surprisingly good. And maybe not this year into the playoffs, but a lot of people have them in the bottom half. I think they're going to surprise a few people. I think Schneider's going to have a better year. I think their defense is a little bit underrated-ish. I think Taylor Hall's going to have a breakout year. I saw, I read something today that he changed his workout routine. He did a few things different to be ready for the year. So in terms of a surprise, maybe not in the playoffs, but at least being a lot more competitive than a lot of people are given credit for, I think it's New Jersey Devils. Interesting. That's, like I said, it's not that you don't expect you to go there, but uh, you know, Mark, that's why you're one of the best in the biz. Uh, so Mark, who covers the Columbus Blue Jackets for the Hockey Raiders, he is also our uh, media credential guy for the Hockey Raiders as well. He does a good job with that, um, making a lot of progress. So that's awesome to see. And, you know, Mark, um, I think coming on, man, it's been a great talk and, I got to say, it was interesting, a lot of insight on Columbus, a lot of interesting conversation, and I guess I'm still, that New Jersey thing is still kind of hit me hard here as we end the conversation. <laughs> well, anything I can do to spice it up a little bit, but thanks for the kind words, and it's always a pleasure to join you. Appreciate it, Chad. All right, awesome. Again, make sure you follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Scheig. Um, again, Mark, thanks. He covers the Erie Otters too, not just the Blue Jackets, so he has your uh, OHL coverage as well, so definitely make sure you give Mark a follow. Uh, Mark, we'll do this again sometime. Really appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks, Chad. Appreciate it. Again, that was Mark Scheig, who covers the Columbus Blue Jackets for the Hockey Writers. Um, Got to say, uh, it's still in my head here that uh, New Jersey Devils pick. Uh, I guess Mark kind of threw us a curveball and a, a hot take here for the end of the uh, for the end of the podcast. A nice wrap up, if you will, of the Metropolitan Division. So. That's all we got for this week. Uh, thanks to Jesse, Mark, and Sammy for coming on. Give us a good look at the Metro. Uh, come back again next week. We are going to do the Atlantic Division. Uh, a wide-open division. Very interesting division. So definitely come back next week and see what we have in store for you there. Uh, before I go here, make sure you are following the Hockey Raiders on Twitter, at the Hockey Raider. Uh, make sure you're following them on Facebook. And definitely make sure to check out thehockeywriters.com. Uh, a lot of great writers there, a lot of excellent articles uh, as we're ramping up here. to, Like I said earlier in the, when we first started, training camps are a couple days away. So hockey is in full bore here. So definitely make sure you're checking us out. And that's, like I said, that's all I got for this week. Come back next week for our Atlantic Division preview. I'm Chad D. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk again soon. See ya.